when I gave my life to the Lord, I was a stripper, and I um, made a decision to completely change my life. I had no idea where to go to church, what to do, how to dress, and one day I was sitting out at a coffee shop, and some girls were walking around, and they were telling everybody about their church. Well, I was so excited. I thought, this is going to be it. This is going to tell me where I can go. Maybe they'll be my friends. And instead, um, they took one look at me and the way I was dressed and how I looked and gave me a dirty look and passed me over. I was going into fourth grade, um, and that summer my parents sat me down and told me that uh, they were getting a divorce. And uh, I remember being blown away by that. And then uh, on top of that, we showed up at church over the next few weeks. And I just remember feeling this, uh, this difference there that we weren't <laughs> supposed to be there. Like, you know, we had divorce slapped around uh, our chest. And for me, it, it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. I trusted Christ when I was in high school. Um, decided to go to Bible college so I could figure out uh, some of the answers to my questions as far as the Bible and God and making that work practically. During my senior year, I really felt like instead of getting answers and getting help with some of my questions, I got rejected uh, in so much as even the college president uh, calling me out in one of the classes and basically saying, if you just, you know, if you, you still have questions this late in the game, you just don't get it. I grew up in a church for 20 years, and when I went to college, I made a few mistakes and got pregnant out of wedlock. I knew there would be trouble, I knew there would be gossip, but I never expected a phone call from the pastor asking me to resign my membership. Well, for the first time in my life, I was really coming back to God. I was trying to, to really reconnect with Him, and my life was a mess. I was going through divorce, I was in debt, I didn't have any friends. and. So I actually wrote a letter to a friend of mine that I knew from high school. I knew that she was a pretty strong Christian, and um, I thought maybe we could start up a friendship. So I sent her a letter, and a couple weeks later, I, I got a package back in the mail, and I opened it up, and there was no letter. It was just a pamphlet on why divorce is a sin. Well, I struggled with uh, same-sex attraction all my life, and uh, being a Christian and brought up in a Christian home, Christian school, I had difficulties dealing with it and uh, went to my pastor because I knew there was some kind of issue with me and that I had some problems. And instead of receiving uh, spiritual guidance, I received, uh, you know, hatred and I was condemned and uh, I was asked to leave the church. There came a point in my marriage where things got really rocky. I made a decision to trust the people at the church and start telling them about what was happening um, and I expected them to to try and understand I expected them to help to accept us broken like we were but instead they judged us they judged me they blamed me it was definitely not okay to not be okay I was five years old I was going to Sunday school and I seen the statue of Jesus and I knew my grandmother really liked it so I took it from the church and gave it to my grandmother Next Sunday, whenever I went back to church, the preacher took me aside and told me I was going to go to hell for stealing. And uh, it really scared me, and that really turned me off. And I asked my mom if I had to go to church anymore, and she said not if I didn't want to. So I stayed away from church for 31 years, and I pretty much went to hell for the next 31 years. 
It made me feel rejected. I was totally crushed. To this day, it affects my family. What good did that do anybody? God forgave me, but the church couldn't. I wish you would have treated me like a brother instead of a piece of garbage. We need to be examples and not tell people what they have to do and what they should do, but just show them what we do. We're continuing on our series, The God Of. So this week, we're talking about the God of no condemnation. And uh, what does it mean to follow a God of no condemnation? And what does it mean to us as a church? The Bible says this in uh, John chapter 3, verse, verse 16. Everybody knows John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then in verse 17 is where the most awesome verse is. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, Jesus came to the world not to condemn them, but to save them. So it's like because through his love is how Jesus changes people's lives. And in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who follow Jesus Christ. So in Christ Jesus we have, we don't have this condemnation in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you, Jesus came to the world not to condemn, but to show love. That was the number one reason that Jesus came. If you see a definition of what no condemnation means in a courtroom language, to have no condemnation declared means to be found innocent of the accusation, to have no sentence inflicted, and, not, and no guilty verdict found. That's what it means to have no condemnation. But here today, I want to look at a passage in the Bible, in John chapter 8, on what it means to really have no condemnation, and how does Jesus deal with people who are living in sin, and how does Jesus walk through, and how can we as church learn something from this passage? John chapter 8, verse 1 onwards, the Bible says this, when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery when they had set her in, in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And now Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? You know, one of the things, Jesus doesn't need our help to point out sin in other people's life. He just knows. He's, that's why he's Jesus. He knows what's going on in people's life. He doesn't need our help to point out a sin in anybody's life. You don't need to like, some of us, you know, we'd like to tell, you know, that this sermon, I know it's not for me. I'm holy. It's for you. Like you're like, you're looking at another pew. You're like, it's for those people in that pew because I know I am righteous before the Lord. And it's like we all come up with different things. But the Bible says Jesus doesn't need our help in pointing out the sin. So there's a group of guys that decide early in the morning, this is around 5.30 in the morning, because the, the Feast of Tabernacles is taking place. The Feast of Booths, it's, it's, uh, it's this uh, feast that's going on a week long, and every day they would, they would spend time, and the priest would, would go through uh, the, the, the temple, and he would go all the way to the Pool of Siloam, and then he would draw this water out, and then he would come back. It was a big celebration. Uh, one of the Jewish uh, uh, traditions says, you do not know what excitement and celebration is till you see a priest celebrating when he brings that water from the pool of Siloam into the temple. That's how much they celebrated. And then they would make a point about as they're coming, people would, would have uh, uh, made these uh, uh, 
it's almost like intertwined different uh, uh, plants and, and made a, a branch, which they would shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they would keep sh- uh, shouting it out as the priest goes through with this water, and he would claim about how this water is the spirit of God, and they're, and they're uh, basically claiming one day God would show up, and he would be the Messiah who is going to no longer, there would be a need for us to go to the pool of Siloam and draw water because Jesus, God himself would do this. Now they weren't claiming it's Jesus, but here's what Jesus does. Jesus, during this time, in the middle of the whole conversation, Jesus gets up and says, I am that water. If any man drinks of me, will not thirst. And so Jesus suddenly makes a claim in the temple Just the day before he makes a claim, like in the evening, he says, I am that water. I am that living water. So now people are a little upset about Jesus over there. And so in the night, they would celebrate. All through the night, they would celebrate. So it would go from evening to morning. They would celebrate and have this festival of lights that would go on. And and they would talk about how God is the biggest light and how you would come and be a light in your life. And, And the Messiah, when he comes, there would no longer be a need for the celebration of light because he himself would be the light. And later on, you will see... In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus, at the end of the dawn, and, and in the morning, he's, he claims, I am that light. And it's like Jesus is making all these statements, and, and these guys are not happy. So they somehow want to get Jesus a little bit in trouble, so they, they, they decide they're going to go drag this lady, and this is what they say. The scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. You know, so decide they're going to bring this lady, but technically, by law, they're supposed to bring the man, too. They don't bring the guy. They just bought the lady. They're like, listen, this lady is a mess. Uh, Jesus could have been like, where's the guy? The, the whole law and the, and, 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 and the whole thing to, to really take any kind of effect, they had to bring the guy, too. And technically, this, this person had to be married or, 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 or the other person had to be married. So there's a lot more involved in just dragging a lady and saying she was living in sin. And then, then also, if you see in the scripture, in the Old Testament, you cannot bring a person who has lived in, in adultery into the temple courts because that's, that's like going against the word of God. So they decided to break all law just to prove this one lady is living in sin. Many times, you know, we do that in our life. We don't care about all the sins we are doing and breaking and the laws we are breaking as long as we can point out this person's sin. It's like, you know, I have to... Let the Lord know this is the biggest sinner. The Lord needs to know immediately. This is a 911. Jesus, listen, I know I'm a mess. This is not the time for me, Lord. Will come to me next week. This week, this person needs help. It's like, you know, and God's like, and so they bring this person over to Jesus, and they're like, here's this lady. Jesus, she, we caught her in the act. What were you guys doing over there? It's like, so they had to be in certain places that they shouldn't have been in. So this this is a whole setup that they're trying to do. And they're trying to basically make Jesus make a call and say, you know what? Jesus has to say that, yes, she's a sinner, stone her. Or if Jesus says, don't stone her. If he says, don't stone her, they would say, he is not following the law. If he says stone her, then they would say he is not being merciful. He preaches on love. He's not being merciful. So Jesus is a little bit of a fix there. So here's what the, the three things that the church does that sometimes affects the body of Christ badly. Some people have already decided what the Bible teaches on a particular topic and teach and search the scripture for verses that seem to back up their belief. They do that very, very effectively. I had a very good friend who's still a very, very good friend and more than a friend to me. And uh, he would always call me. Before he got saved, he would call me about and ask me, John, listen, is there any verses about wives obeying your husband? And I'm like, 
why does he always ask verses about wives and obedience every time? And then I, I found out his wife was saved and he wasn't. He didn't believe in Jesus. But anytime his wife stood up or said something, he'd be like, hey, listen, your Bible says, wives, obey your husbands. Like he, he wants to find a verse. He wants to find a verse that sort of justifies his, his point. And sometimes Christians, we do that in our life. We, we find something that we don't like and we're like, listen, the Bible says, I have on my body no marks. You're having tattoos. What is this? What is this? It's like, we'll find a worse. It's like, we'll find something that, that, is, that is okay with us, but we don't, we're not okay with them. You know, it's like at that point, you can find a worse that sort of makes everybody happy about everything because here's what they do. The next thing is they use the word of God and twist the scriptures. You can twist it to whatever you want it to be. You know, sometimes it's even found in, in the ministry. Pastors do that so much. They misquote the scripture or twist the scriptures, which hurts the believers even more if they're upset with someone. They're upset with Jim. You know what I'm going to do? This week, I'm going to preach a sermon on Jim. Jim knows it's a sermon about him. Pastor knows it's about Jim. Everybody else is like, Pastor, upset about somebody or something. It's like they're having like an argument with like the word of God. It's like this is not the place for it. It's like if you're upset with Jim, just go tell him I'm not happy with you. You don't need to use the word of God to, uh, to you know, like defend your views. It's like you're not happy about someone, just tell them. Listen, I don't like the way you look. You don't have to be like the Bible says that this kind of a look. It's like, No. Just, you just tell them the truth because you're not going to offend people by being real, but you're going to offend and hurt more people when you use the word of God to, to accomplish or, or to bring about more hurt in people's lives. And that's what they were doing. They were actually hurting this lady. Imagine a lady being bought into the temple in the early in the morning at 530 in the morning. They went found this lady. They dragged her out. And then they're like, we're going to stone her. You know, people gather to do bad things more faster than to do anything good. They were all gathered there with a bunch of stones. Like, we're going to stone this lady. Misquoting scriptures. Like, they, they didn't follow any of the rules in bringing this lady to Jesus. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus writes on the ground. The Bible says, then, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. They're talking to Jesus. It's a pretty big crowd, and it's a pretty riled up crowd. They got some stones. They dragged this lady, and Jesus just, just sitting down like, like he can't hear them. You know, like if those of you who have kids, when you ask your kid to do something and they're doing something else, like they can't hear you, they're like, just throw that garbage away. They're like playing with your toy. Jesus was doing one of those. <laughs> like he's just hanging out in the, in the ground there, just writing on the ground, and, and they're like really upset. Like, Jesus, listen, we're trying to say something. But if you know the scripture and you study the scripture where you are, it's like if you've been part of a gang or part of any, even if like if you've trained in the, in the military or, or been in the Navy SEAL or something, you see these guys do all these different signs. You have no idea what they're saying, but they're communicating with each other without any words. So Jesus was communicating to the priests and to the Pharisees and Sadducees by doing what he's doing. Because when you see in the scripture, the Bible says this, in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10 and Exodus chapter 31 verse 18. And in Luke 11, verse 20, Luke 11, verse 20 is where we're going to go first to. Luke 11, verse 20, the Bible says this, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees accused Jesus of driving out demons using a demon. And Jesus lets them know, no, no, listen, I'm driving out demons using the finger of God. So Jesus has claimed that his finger is the finger of God. 
And then he goes back, and when he's writing on the ground, he goes back to let them know this finger of God is what really wrote the Ten Commandments. So he's basically sitting down, and he's acting like he's writing something on the ground. Most of the time, we spend time trying to figure out what did Jesus write on the ground. You know, there's more people who have Googled what Jesus wrote on the ground than people who, who like, Googled why did he write on the ground. Like, if you Google why he wrote on the ground, you'll see the Jewish tradition. But more people Google what did he write on the ground. We want to know things that it's not written in the Bible. That's what we want to know. What, I wonder what he wrote on the ground. I wonder, what, was it the names? Was it the sins of the people? No, he was just making a statement that he is God himself who wrote the Ten Commandments. By sitting on the ground, not only does he do that, and here's where he's making it very clear. In verse 7 it says, So they continued asking him. He raised himself up again, and he said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, because he's making it very clear the Ten Commandments was written two times. God wrote the Ten Commandments, gave it to Moses, Moses threw it on the people and, 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 and destroyed it, and God had to rewrite it again. So he's basically let them know, listen, it was me who wrote the Ten Commandments two times, and it's me, I told you guys, I got the finger of God driving out demons, and it's that same finger of God that's right on this ground right now. And he's trying to make a statement that he himself is God from the Old Testament, and he's the God who's creating the New Testament. And he's making the statement of writing two times because he's like, now it's gone from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and he's saying, I am writing a new covenant. I'm making everything new. And he's making all these statements so people who are religious understand that Jesus is claiming to be God himself right in front of them and so some of the guys the bible says then again he stooped down and wrote on the ground and those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one beginning with the oldest all the way to the youngest slowly the conviction of god starts to touch them jesus didn't have to say anything to those guys he just just let them know who he really is see the thing is you have to allow jesus to be god in people's lives even if people are coming against accusations in your life, they're doing what kind of stuff and all kinds of things, you just have to allow God to be God in your circumstance, in your situation, because he'll, he'll, he knows what he's doing. Jesus is the only one who can change your life and give you strength to live transformed. The Bible says this in verse 10 and 11, Jesus raised, raised up himself and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus could have condemned the lady because that's God himself. But he says, listen, hey, just go and don't live in sin. When Jesus speaks into a person's life, they walk away with this empowerment and power in their life. You know, if you've ever given your life to Jesus and you go back to that life when, when you lived before following Jesus and after following Jesus, there's the strength that God gave you. It's not because people told you you're a sinner or people said all kinds of stuff. It's because God spoke into your life and, and there's this power. God just told these guys, hey, whoever is without sin, throw the stone. They all could have been like, sure, we'll throw the stone. They already knew who was in front of them. It's God himself using the finger of God, and he's making a statement to them that he's God. Because if you go down in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. During the, the Feast of Tabernacle, God comes to a place, and, 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 and they, they're doing this thing where they're saying, God is the light of the world, and, 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 and Jesus stands up at that, at that moment, and he says, guys, listen, I am the light of the world. 
It's like he is letting them know. So if anybody says that Jesus never said he is God in the scripture, yeah, he was making it very clear. According to the Jewish tradition, there's no way you would have missed out that Jesus is claiming to be God himself. That he's doing all of the things that God would do. And it's like, yep, yep, he's acting just like God. He's behaving just like God. He's doing all these things like God. If you've, if you've seen kids, you know, when, when you see somebody's child, they always do certain things and you look at them and you're like, wow, behaving just like his dad or just like his mom. And, and then they, they do certain things. They want to imitate. And here Jesus is doing exactly everything like God the Father so that he's letting the world know, I am God. I am the light of the world. It's not this little light you guys are shining. I am the one you're waiting for. I am the one who wrote the Ten Commandments. I am the one who's setting this lady free. I am the one who's giving freedom to this person. Our God came to love. If we are his disciples, we need to love like him. John chapter 13, verse 35, the Bible says this. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another like I have loved you. See, people all have problems and issues in their life. Everybody lives with sin and goes through different difficulties. Before they know Jesus, most of the world who doesn't know Jesus know and realize that they're living in sin. You don't have to tell them. They know they're living in sin. And if you've noticed it, if you have friends who use a lot of bad language, I don't know if you are one of those people who use a lot of bad language, then they never change. But if you're the one who doesn't use bad language and they know you're a Christian, and when you walk into the room, they automatically apologize for every bad word they say. Like when I walk into a room and they realize I'm a pastor and every time they use a bad word, pretty soon, within a couple of minutes, they'll stop using it or they'll apologize. Hey, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't ask them to say sorry. I, I don't care what they say. It's perfectly fine. Well, however they live their life, my life with Jesus is different. That's their life. They don't know Jesus. It's perfectly fine. I always say the statement. I'm like, you don't know Jesus. It's fine. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's, uh, it's, I, sh I shouldn't be saying this. I'm like, it's fine. I don't think Jesus is offended because you're using bad language in front of me. You just go ahead, do your thing. But, but the thing is, the world realizes when they're in the wrong. You don't have to be like, listen, when I'm in this room, I do not want anybody to use bad language. Okay? Just respect me. I am the pastor. And as a matter of fact, put your cigarettes away too. It's like, no, you can't do those kind of things. That's what people, people purposely do things like that. They're like, you know, when I walk into the room, it seems like everybody lights up their cigarette. Like just to make me upset. Yes, they are. They're working it. They know this makes you upset. But if you just react like Jesus, like, sure. Well, what do you want to do? And, uh, and you just show them love. And all of a sudden, they start changing. Their life starts to change. And they start to make these differences in their life. A couple of weeks ago in our city, we, they had this big event. Which at the event, almost no Christian was there. There's no Christians. And for sure, there's no pastors. Because it was a little bit of an anti-Christian movement thing that they were doing. I was like, sure, I'll be at it. And uh, I went to it. And uh, I, was, I was there supporting it and just showing some love and everything. It was really awesome because they don't know. Like most people were shocked. They were like, you're a pastor and you're hanging out in this event? I was like, yeah, sure. I like it. I was like, it's just great. I was like, you guys are all great people. And here I'm hanging out with all of them. And the person who was leading that movement was coming to our church and last week on Sunday, gave their life to Jesus. And said, you know, I have never realized that Jesus is so real and so powerful. But they would have never known Jesus if we had never gone out there. I didn't have to say anything to them. I didn't have to change anybody's life. I didn't even 
let anybody know I'm, I'm a pastor. I always wear my hat with New Life Church in it and just hang out in different places. But people change because everybody is looking for Jesus. The world, as much as you might think they're not, are desperately looking for Jesus. And they're looking for the real Jesus. There are so many people like this lady who are hurt because we are so busy trying to point out how bad of a sinner they are. And Jesus is like, you're actually hurting them even more. I can change lives. The Bible says, follow me and I will make you become. God is the one who makes you become whatever he wants you to become. I can't change anybody's life. I am not transforming people's life. People always, you know, when they hear people who get saved and, and transformed, they always say, Pastor John, it's crazy that you led them to the Lord. I didn't do nothing. I was just hanging out with them. That's all. It's just, you know, they're great people. I just hang out with them. And somewhere in there, Jesus changes their life. A couple months ago, uh, it was last year, we were doing construction in our church. And uh, most of the guys would listen to some really bad, bad music. So right here in this sanctuary, they would play some real bad word, bad <laughs> songs every day. And uh, what did I do? I'd hang out with them and be picking up stuff and be working with them. And, and they would play these bad word songs every day. And I'd still hang out with them every day. And then eventually we started having lunch together and stuff. And then by the time they were done doing the construction, most of them had changed their life. And they weren't playing any of the secular songs with bad words. They were like, Pastor John, is there any worship songs you would like us to play? So every day they were like sort of playing more worship songs and, and stuff like that. And then one of the guys who was the key in, in all of it and doing the worst in all of it ended up giving his life to Jesus and going to our church. And, and, and completely changed his life, which, which led many of his friends to come to Jesus. But not one time. In the entire six months when I worked alongside him, did I tell him, you know what, you need to give your life to Jesus. You're a real big sinner. You know, I really hate those songs you'd be playing every day in the church, like right with the pastor. Sometimes he'll ask me, Pastor John, can you turn on that music? I'm like, sure. <laughs> because he's on the lift, I'm down, I'm like, sure. And I'm, like, and I'm just like, God, you know, just touch his life. Just, just, would you touch him? Like, look at this guy, God. In my mind, I'm like, send the fire down, Lord. <laughs> just let him, let him see your judgment. But, you know, it's like, that's, that's what we want to, ends up, the things in our mind come out real loud, and people get hurt by it. But if you just allow Jesus, just allow him to touch people's life, there is more you can do in your friend's life, in your neighbor's, in, in, your, uh, in your community for Jesus by showing love, then by saying you're a bad person, your life is not good. You know, it's, it's good to say stuff. So yeah, if you have friends and you have a good relationship with them, it's good to say, hey, you know what? I feel like your life's going on a wrong path. Would you change? You know, I had a friend this past week. I was having lunch, uh, lunch with him. He goes to our church. And, and I sent him a message. I said, listen, how is your relationship with Jesus? So when we were having lunch, I asked him, how is your relationship with Jesus? And uh, he didn't know what to say because I knew he was struggling a little bit and I'm praying for him. And then I left it at that. And the whole week, every day, he would send me a reply back to that question. You know, Pastor John, remember you asked me that question? I have an answer for you. I'm like, you don't need to give me any answer. This question is for you. And then you could see it the entire week. God is continuing to convict him that he's moving away from God. And every day, he just sends you a message. Every day. Pastor John, listen. Listen, man. My life's going great with Jesus. I want you to know that. I'm like, you don't need to say nothing to me. It's fine. I just felt like asking you a question. It's, the answer is for you and Jesus. 
And then this morning, he texted me. He said, Elizabeth John, I might not be at church today, but my relationship with Jesus is going good. I just want you to know. And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. You don't have to prove anything to me. But you can see that in his heart, he knows he was just going a little, little different path there. And God is the one who convicts. You don't need to convict anybody. If your children are walking away from the Lord and they're doing certain things, you don't have to point out and show to them. Once in a week, yes, it's habit, you do it. But uh, after that, the rest of the week, just, just show them God's love. Just let them know it's fine. No matter what you're walking through, I want you to know that God loves you. You know, when you tell somebody that Jesus loves them, it changes them more powerfully than when you say that Jesus is going to judge them. One day, Jesus is going to judge everybody. He's going to judge me. He's going to judge you. Everybody in the world one day is going to be judged by Jesus Christ. But till that day, the Bible says Jesus came to the world to love the people, to save them from their sins, and not to condemn, but to love. Till that day, he's not the judge. He's a, he's a savior who loves people very, very much. You know, I want to encourage you. Would you stand with me, church? Here's a quote from... from uh, from this person, David, he says this, the church should be less of a club for the righteous and more of a hospital for spiritually broken. I've seen more people in our church give their life to Jesus. Over the years, the person who had given the quote was, it was a person who had just, just, I'd seen a lot of hurt in the church and said, you know, I wish churches were more real. I wish people genuinely loved us because of who I am. Everybody has struggles. There's never going to be a place you come to where you feel like, you know what, I'm going to be completely perfect. You'll have some days where you feel perfect, but you're going to have some struggles. You're going to have some moments of, of issues and problems in your life. The Bible says, in this world, you will have problems. But be of good courage. I have overcome the world. The world knows they're sinning. The world knows they got some problems. But the world doesn't know that Jesus loves them. The world's been told continuously that Jesus is going to judge them. They all know that part too. So they're all afraid of it. You saw in the video, video after video, the one that touched me the most was this guy who stole a statue for his grandma. Okay, I was, I might've been that kid. If my grandma liked something, I'm like, grandma, would you like the statue? Jesus coming home with us today? <laughs> so I, I, I had to take Jesus home with me. And, uh, but you know, it's like, as a pastor, you could handle it different. Be like, hey, listen, you can't take this Jesus home, but uh, I'll get you another Jesus to take home or something to help him. Because for 31 years, he struggled thinking he's going to hell every day. You never know what it means to be condemned, especially in a church. When you walk in to feel God's love and healing, you're like, hey, I just hope somebody would pray for me. And they're like, listen, you're a sinner. You need to change your life. If you're going through a struggle in your life, I want you to know, at New Life, we love you. Whatever you're going through, it doesn't matter. That's why when you come up to the altar, I never ask, well, what's going on? I never ask you, what's the sin you're struggling with? Because that's between you and God. That's God's going to change your life. I'm never, I don't have any answers on how to be set free from addiction. I don't have any answers on how to be set free from any problems. All I know is Jesus is the one who has all the answers. He's the one who set me free. He's the one who can set you free. And today, if you would allow me to introduce you to Jesus who loves you, he can change your life. It's, that's, that's the coolest thing about Jesus. He'll give you the strength. Jesus looks at this lady and says, go and sin no more. 
That's all. That's all. He's just instantaneously. She didn't have to say nothing back to him. Okay, Lord, I'm forgive my nothing. She just walked away. When Jesus speaks a word, he doesn't need nothing back from you. He's just he's like, listen, I love you. Sometimes it's difficult for us to say I love you back to Jesus. We're just like, no, 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 I really hate you. But Jesus still loves you no matter what you're walking through, no matter who you are, no matter if you're walking in a divorce, no matter walking in, a, in the worst kind of sin in your life, you know, no matter what the church says about you, Jesus loves you very much. If you're running away and you're struggling in addiction, you know what? Jesus loves you in that addiction. He just loves you right through that. Because he's the one who's going to give you strength to walk away from everything. Nothing that the church does is going to help you but show you Jesus Christ. So today, if you're hurting in your life, and if you've been hurt by church before, would you give us an opportunity to just show you God's love? Would you take a minute? Would you close your eyes with us? I'm going to pray for you. Jesus loves you very, very much. The sin that you're struggling with, that's between you and God. God is the only one who can forgive sins. Nobody else has authority on this earth to forgive your sins but Jesus Christ. Nobody else has the strength in this world to give you strength to overcome addictions and sin in your life but Jesus Christ. God, we come to you because your word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God, thank you that you did come to tell me that I'm a sinner when you know I'm a sinner, when you know I'm struggling in my life. Thank you for saying you love me in the midst of my struggle. Thank you, God, that this week you're strengthening some people in this room to walk out from addiction, to walk out from strongholds in their life, to be able to take some steps because they know that, God, you love them. I pray for those of them who have been hurt, God, over the years by churches or, or people who said they were Christians. God, I pray that your love would cover those hurts. Your love would heal those wounds. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us both now and forever. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.